Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mike Velarde's show. I'm excited to welcome to Mike Velarde. Mike, what's going on? Hey, how are you? We got yeah, a very good. unique show today. Very unique. Uh, I'm really excited. Tell us what our guests are. All right. We got Chief, Chief Bigham here, and Carmen. Carmen Yaki. Carmen who's running for governor of the state of Florida. And uh, the chief is, is an ambassador to the United Nations and has a tremendous program for housing for the poor and i'm going to let him introduce himself and talk about it uh, peace and love to you all out there um, i am chief ambassador prime minister all that good stuff of sustainability i'm from the iroquois council to talk to an american nation i'm working with usa uh, immigrants and refugees carmen jackie out of hallandale beach florida and um, we're here to bring positive energy homes, plant-based style, um, which are inexpensive and a great structure for the state of emergency of housing here in Florida. Um, and we also add the agriculture program to it to help with food um, in an organic style, um, soilless growing, and it's an ancient way of our culture of Aboriginal Americans that's been around since we're talking 3000 BCE that we capsulized in a more modern way since technology has changed um, to be able to provide it to anyone and that really is looking to have a sustainable ground of food and housing. That's a brief explanation. Very <laughs> brief. But yes, yes, and I'm glad you guys have us on the show today yeah. to, to, to raise awareness. And um, Carmen, yes, she's the CEO of uh, uh, USA, Refugees and Immigrants, um, connected as a civil society under the OAS, Organization of American States. And um, she also is here helping us, again, tie this agriculture to her campaign so she can help get it out to people to show that she cares also for people's well-being, their homes, their lifestyle here in Florida. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for that introduction. Yeah. What is happening, uh, guys? And thank you so much for having me in this amazing show. What is happening is, um, like one month ago, uh, I, I was thinking, like, okay, I want to run because people is asking me, hey, Kamijagi, why don't you run for some position in power so we can change together? what is happening in the state of Florida. And I was looking at uh, a state representative, a state senator, um, um, commissioner and, and in any um, county. And I decided to change the state. You have to have power. And in order to have power, you have to be the governor. And what is happening now is, and, and Suddenly, I had a dream, and, and I dreamed on this state flourishing because I was studying a lot, and I saw, I realized that this is this state is competing in who is the worst with the state of California. I don't know if you know this, but it's the truth. It's the real truth. I know that many people is criticizing President Biden. It's okay. The inflationary rate is around the world is not, uh, we are not kidding in this case. But what's happening here is that you have uh, the United States inflationary rate is 11.5%. 
11.6%. You know what is the inflationary rate in the state of Florida? 48%. Yeah, it's the housing cost. Everyone wants to move here. Exactly. Yeah, no, it. it's true too. Right. But it's not only there. No, you got the immigrants true. coming from the border. No, it's, and, no, and no but it, it's, it's not what is happening. What is happening, look, we have the worst production of citrus ever since the second worldwide. Yeah. So the weather is good. It's not the weather, guys. It's the lack of management. It's well, not the weather, guys. That's true, too. But you got you got wheat and there's no rain in, in, in Kansas, all the wheat crop. No, but we're not talking about Kansas, we're no, talking about the state of Florida, where all the farmers yeah. are used to put their best, you know, in order to make the state sustainable. Yeah, at was least right. yeah. in the area of citrus, where we were one of the best producers in the in in the history. Well you you bring oh. up, you bring up a good point. And what happened was the cost of diesel got so expensive that farmers I know were telling me they can't afford to run their tractors. And that was that's part of the problem. Okay. When you got six dollar diesel, you can't afford to run the tractors. Yeah, and but you know who is guilty uh, because sure, it's responsible? Well, Biden because no, he, no, the he state, the state governor. Yeah, yeah, but you got to understand that when Biden cut off the oil supply and he did it in January intentionally. Yes. Okay, that caused all of the inflation in the gas and, and the domestic market. A spike in and that. that, and, and, that, not that, that. And, and that affects the farmers' inability to plow, plow the land. Well, it's part of the problem, but it's not the problem. The problem is that lack of management in the state of Florida. What is happening is you go, you, once you pass the border between Florida and Georgia, you have at least 30, 40, 50 cents cheaper every gallon of gasoline. That's so, so true. It's true. And who mm -hmm. has, we do not have pipes. We have to build them up. So it's one of our our work in the future after January the 2nd, 2023, when we become governors and mm -hmm. uh, managing the administration. So what do you Florida. think, what do you think is the issue of the mismanagement? Who's to blame? Probably some of the elected officials. I think that some of the people that we put in office are definitely problematic. I'm seeing that more in the local levels. You don't you don't get the same quality candidates at the local level you do at the federal level. And even at the federal level, the elected officials aren't good. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're terrible too. But but I think it's worse at the state level because they they paid a lot less money. I mean, I think they made like thirty grand or something. Something like that. Yeah, it's not, it's not a lot. Yeah. We can we can uh, move on, uh, making possible that the um, truck drivers transporting the gasoline also we can make a deal have a meeting with them have a meeting also with uh, oil companies not only in the united states but around the world we we have the the we can uh, work with our import gasoline from overseas we are not forced to buy gasoline of the, our national companies you know what I mean? So if, if they do not agree in make it cheaper, we can make it cheaper. Uh, well, well you, have, you have another issue with that too, that the cost of regulation is more than quadruple since Biden took office. They're making them go through the process twice just so it burns a little cleaner. And that's very problematic because you can't get the amount. That's, that's where the production problem is. And, and the, the cost went from something like a billion to 200 billion. Yeah. In regulatory court. Yeah. crazy. And then when I see yeah. that, and I seen how they established the ground, that's why we started getting into innovations. Yes, exactly. You know, because yeah. think about it. Right. Well, now that you just explained that to me, and I didn't yeah. know that they were going through so much diesel issues, yeah. Florida has an up for that. You guys are connected to the oceans right. and the Gulf. Plastic by collecting plastic, you can create diesel fuel from that. Right, right. So we can clean the oceans and create, you know, fuel as long as we can create those manufacturing right, systems. Exactly. We can put those innovative processes yeah. within the communities to help one another solve these issues. True, and also mm -hmm. we we have um, some uh, ports in where gasoline shipping shipping can 
arrive and we can distribute uh, the gasoline in a cheaper way. So when the final person who is going to buy it at the gasoline station is going to have it cheaper. One effect that is much. It's yeah, part it's... of the effect, but uh, mm. I know also our truck drivers, transporters are being paid less than mm. the national average. So we have to, to have like a town hall meeting with all of them. And we have to, to come to an agreement where not only our Floridians are going to win, but they are going to obtain revenues, good revenues for the work that they are doing. They deserve it also. Mm -hmm. It's an idea. It's definitely mm -hmm. an idea. Yeah, and we have, it, as you say, as you mentioned, in the state, in the Gulf of Mexico, we have ports in, in yes. that area. We have yes. ports in the east uh, coast of Florida. And also what is happening with the beaches. You know, guys and girls, when you are to going to when you go to the beaches and you rest your your body, you know where you are resting your body? In trash, glass, and sand. Because there is not they are not cleaning up the beaches. They are putting the 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 sand on the trash. You're not covering the covering the. Well, I don't go to those beaches. I don't know about you, Neil, but I try to avoid those places. Uh huh. Why? <laughs> Why? Because I like nice sandy beaches. Ah, you see. <laughs> you can't that, that right. The good good. It's what everyone mm -hmm. deserves. Mm -hmm. Right, and we need to move forward yeah. and change this. That, that's this. that's what you have work release programs for, right? They should. The yeah, they should. They should. Have you, checked, have, have you checked have you checked the the budget? You know how no, much I, this guy uh, gave gave I, to the cleaning up the ditches? No, I actually um do more involved with the federal stuff than the state stuff. Uh -huh. I ran for federal office. Uh-huh. So so maybe you have to so I, I don't I don't know a lot about this, but the person that's coming here today is gonna to be a state rep. He's running for state, that's why I haven't come. Nice. So you could talk awesome. to him about that. Nice, awesome. nice. Yeah. Because you will see, you will see that that if you go to the to the state of Florida budget 2022-2023, you will realize that what Mr. Ron disaster is that, sorry disaster DeSantis is doing. So so, so, so um, basically, what do you think DeSantis is doing wrong as governor that you will change? Yeah. Well, well, she, she thinks he's not allocating enough funds for cleaning up the beaches and stuff like that. No, it's not because of that. Okay. He, we are competing who is the worst state, uh, California or the state of Florida? We are competing who is worst. Yeah, they are doing it pretty bad. New York is pretty bad too. New York yeah, but, but, but you, can, you can read that their budget is never, never in the life the state of Florida has been to this yeah. a terrible situation, yeah, inflationary. Florida has a has a surplus. New York and California run deficit budgets, mm -hmm. so that's not a bad idea to have a surplus because you never know what's going to happen. No, no, no. Future. It's perfect to have a surplus. Imagine I am I am PhD in management sciences, so my and my my um, bachelor degree, my first bachelor degree, is in administration, and yeah. so. You can imagine that I have any much idea right. about what is happening in the state because I study a lot. Right, right. I get it. So, yeah, so, so it's not because of the President Biden is doing it so bad. Yes, he has some, I have some complaints about what is the doing the federal administration, but it's, uh, it's something that is happening in the state of Florida because of the lack of management and the lack of taking uh, in consideration quality of living of Floridians. And that's not, it's not because of the immigrants. Forget yeah. about that. It's their excuses about why they are doing it pretty bad is because of President Biden. It's not because of they have the responsibility and they do have it. So, so be specific. The two top issues you're running for governor are what? Two top issues. Two, only two? 
Yeah, just, just two. <laughs> we, we, we only have five minutes. So okay, well, we have, we have to, well, we need to take action in diminishing the price of gasoline. Okay, that's yes. more federal than it is. No, it's not. Again, maybe you do think it's federal, go, go to your next but it's not. What's the second issue? And the second one, um, I think we have to intervene in what is the safety of the thing. Imagine, during this administration, 2.4% is increasing yearly the violence in the state. So we have to take care of our kids. We have to take care of our oh, parents. So give me, we give have me to a solution. Well, I'm not going to tell her. Two minutes. No, no, no. I'm going to say the solution after the um, August the 28th, okay. when we are really competing. OK. OK. Uh, Let's go back to the chief. Tell tell us about these these dome homes and what we could do with them. Well, what it is is it's um, a, a form of cement that sets the stage for housing for hurricane-proof. Um, actually, when the hurricanes come in, because we have a season that's set from what July first to November thirtieth, something like that, right. every year. Um, some areas get hit pretty bad with flooding, all those good things. The cement is perfect for that. Um, termites, big problem in Florida. Mold, big problem in Florida in the houses. These stones take all of that away. And not only does it take it away, it's inexpensive for you to build. And it's plant-based. Mm. Um, we are happy to be able to create plant-based housing. No more taking granite, making a sheetrock when it get wet, the asbestos creation and all of the sporing and all the stuff we had to go through from our ancestors for many, many years. We're changing that. Um, a very small space, it, you can take it from 240 to 300 square feet up into a five bedroom courtyard. <laughs> And again, it's, it's economical. Um, they last forever. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. 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 In environmentally environmentally and, and it's going to really help that state of emergency that we're in now. Um, I, don't, I don't think that that would be a solution. But what I think is it's going to help to solidify those issues. Because um, a lot of people are set to come here to be real estate agents, they want to rent their house out, Airbnb. They're forgetting about the little people that are from here that, you know, been working nine to five. Now they're getting two jobs to really try to sustain minorities. They're, they're, they're wiping them out and pushing them further away because mm -hmm. they can't afford to live. So mm -hmm. now you're creating more homelessness. Like you guys were talking about how mm -hmm. California um, has kind of a, uh, done this and we, we brought this to San Bernardino, California and their county there. Um, wow. Next okay. month, we have an, um, two groups of people that are interested in working with our private member association to bring 50 domes to life um, wow. in San Bernardino. So they want to start and they really want to get into it because they like how inexpensive it is and the quality of it. Right. So that way we can tackle the homelessness and really start getting these people set up. And um, what I love about this too is it gives us a chance to grow to bring more companies to the United States and work together in every state once they see that it works here in Florida. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it's, that's such a fascinating thing, Chief. And I, I the, to be able to try a different way of building and all these different things. And you said it's already worked in California. In Florida, this will be very, very important. How about states that are in warm climates like Florida? Do you know of others that would really benefit from this? Oh, yes. Um, Arizona, they built it. Arizona, they yeah. built it. Thailand, Oklahoma. Mexico, Oklahoma. Um, they have these workshops going all around the world. And it's great for cold climates as well. Mm -hmm. Because the homes they breathe, this air creek can float on water. I mean, literally. Mm. It, you can take it, make a brick, throw it in a swimming pool, and it'll just float for you. Hmm. You can use a regular handsaw. Wow. <laughs> you can use a regular Home Depot drill, little Ryobi, and just 
fix it up. You can use regular hand tools, it's not expensive. But the thing is, it's our arts and crafts to be able to bring to our lifestyle, our villages, again, ancient, this is ancient, ancient. Um, mm -hmm. They used foam creek. Um, it was called something different. I, I can't remember the actual name on top of my head right now, but back in those times where they, everybody was wondering how they did the, the bricks in Egypt and how they built the pyramids and all that type of stuff, it's the same method. It's literally the same method. Um, we just didn't know exactly how they did it, how they created the foam, how they created everything back then, because again, plants and all that stuff was different. Same thing with the chinapas. It's all natural. Anything that we doing now is just pretty much comes from the old. We're just kind of bringing it in a more modern light and using. Where do we find information on that? Where can we go, Chief, to find information on the buildings you're doing and all that? The information. Um, well, I sent Mike a lot of information. So you have can, a website? You have a website? I do not. Um, I'm actually a, a farmer. So please forgive me. I'm not Mr. <laughs> Technology. <laughs> so, Mike, where's, where can people check out that information to find it all, Mike? Is there a um, YouTube? You can, um, if you are interested in Aircrete, A I R C R E T E, you can type Aircrete um, or Aircrete Dome Homes in right. YouTube and, and go check it out for yourselves. Yes, yeah, Steve's Dome Homes and Steve's YouTube, Dome Home. And you can see the video. Yes, we invested in Steve's Dome Home and we have the blueprints, we have the equipment, everything ready to build now here in Florida. And if you want to contact us, uh, come to the um, website https uh, dash dash slash slash, slash, slash. com, yes, and you will out, see Carmen Jackie C A R M E N J A C K I E F O R Florida. That come okay. awesome. and you will see all the plants you will see everything is very specified there and you will see the news in the state of florida so you will realize how what is happening in the state and uh, you will see that i support farmers students yes. uh, parents uh ecology ecological um um uh, uh, um, Partnerships and projects. Yeah, projects. Yes. That's right. Yes. That's right. And uh, well, what is happening in the state of Florida? Discrimination, exclusion, and we are going to stop those issues. Yeah, we're making changes. When you when you got a plate of food on the table, you're in your home, and and you see everybody smiling and you're enjoying yourself. That's going to stop a lot. Of yeah, <laughs> you you have gone with me. Yes. To yes. places. Oh my god. And you see how people is. Uh, they say these people they need a change, a yes. real change in the state. Yes, this is killing them. It is it suicide rates have been increasing eight yes. percent in the yes. last year. So it's not the pandemic. Yeah, I mean you're hungry. If you used to three meals a day and you ain't eating three days, yeah. that change. Yeah, and everything is but news, but news. Exactly. Of course, when the national rate is eleven and you have four percent, four eight percent, it's much higher. It's, it's much higher. Much higher. I know it's, where you get numbers from. It. You that's check that's this that's out. What I'm realizing too is went up tripled. You know, yes, tripled. You know what Trump was in office? Triple. Wow. Of course. That was 60 Yeah, well, right. Right. But you know what we need to do? We need to fund churches because churches are helping the people on the streets, are helping the people, the, the people who go to churches, and it's 70% of the population. So mm -hmm. they need to be funded. Well, that's that's kind of what the program I did in Pittsburgh. Exactly. We built the farm. And the food, the lettuce and stuff that we were getting from it, we were putting the fresh Because we are going to make a sustainable. Yes. All right. Well, fantastic, yes. guys. We appreciate it again. And that's why we're and together today to bring this to life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sustainable. So, sustainable. So, so, absolutely, Mike. Appreciate all that information. Other place to go is MikeVillardiBooks.com, WinningTaxSolutions.com, and MikeVillardiShow.com. Appreciate these guests. Such in interesting information. Things to really think about and ponder, Mike. Were you thinking of that this week yep. in this? Yeah, episode? absolutely. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so much. You're Thank welcome. You
for All right. Okay, that was the Mike Velarde Show, guys. Take care. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited to welcome my special co-host, Greg Hanna of Toss C3O. Toss C3. How are you, Greg? And I know you're excited about our guest today. You know, I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me, Neil. I'm super excited for our guest today. Yes, and it's Bernard Woods. He's the author of Inheritance. We're going to learn about his career as a writer and how why he wrote his autobiography. Greg, go on, and I know you're excited about the first question you have for him today. Well, you know, hey, Bernard, uh, did you always want to be a journalist? Uh, I didn't always want to be a journalist. Like many journalists, I started, I, I wanted to be... Uh, when I was young and I write about the sum in the book, I, I wanted to be a poet. I thought, you know, cause that's easy. You, uh, and you're full of emotions. Then you try writing fiction uh, and you fail at that as well because you realize you're not good at making stuff up, but that becomes a real benefit uh, when it comes to writing nonfiction. And uh, you know, you, you still get to do all of the stylistic stuff that a novelist can do if you do it right. But you, you get to go out and learn about interesting people in the real world. Now, you, it's interesting you talk about that, Bernard, and, and the fact of writers, they always are writing, even if they never got published at the first part. You were writing to enjoy writing, so you're going poetry first, doing some fiction, and what kind of led you in the direction of journalism? How long did that process take to start saying, I'm going to be more of a journalist, but I'm going to write for fun, but ultimately I'm going to figure out what really kind of I want to sink my teeth into? Well, I, I did a ridiculous thing and uh, got a PhD in ancient philosophy, learned ancient Greek and Latin, and I uh, taught those for a while and was writing, waking up early in the morning to try to write fiction. And then I, I realized that the only way to live a truly Socratic life, when I finished the PhD, I didn't want to be a professor and people come to me for me to profess to them. But the way to be a Socratic was to go ask uh, you know, difficult questions, people that didn't want to be asked those questions. So that was when I started doing, uh, doing really journalism seriously and trying to elevate it to, uh, to write stories that read like art, but feel, you know, but are true and feel like journalism. Well, wow, that's pretty in incredible. And PhD, that's good for you, man. That's phenomenal. From Duquesne University there as well. That's, uh, I, I went to, uh, Went to Duquesne and Pittsburgh, and I, I noticed we share. Uh, yeah, but aren't that? Sure, I have a master's degree at Duquesne in education, so that's interesting. I have that Duquesne ring, so I understand exactly the whole thing for sure. Are you in Bernard? Are you in Pittsburgh? No, no, I'm in Baltimore. I live in Baltimore now. I uh, when I was in grad school, I was there, but my then-to-be wife was here, uh, and so I, as soon as I finished my coursework, I left Got uh, Pittsburgh and came down this way. All right, I still have a lot of friends there. All right, absolutely. Okay, good, great. Next question. Wow. You know, Bernard, why, what is it about writing? Why do you enjoy writing so much? You know, there's a phrase in, in that writers say of, I hate writing, but I love having written. And I'm the opposite of that. I, I hate the having written part, um, but I love writing. And, and I think it's because it's, the, it's a way to make sense of the world in real time. And it's a way to test your own beliefs against yourself and to become other with yourself. You write it and then you can come back later and read and see what you think of yourself in that moment. So it, it arrests the flow of time in some ways. And, and, you know, as I was writing this book, my dad was dying. He's a main character in the book. He was dying of ALS. Uh, it was very, very intense. And I learned through that experience also that sentences and paragraphs are a really good way to uh, build levees to deal with floods of emotion. Wow, and that's uh, the, the interesting when you talk about that. And so when you say, what, what is the, uh, the part of writing you don't enjoy? Is it the finished product or is it the start? What, what would you say to this? Oh, the start's pure joy because uh, there's nothing, you can do anything. Uh, and however bad it is, you can throw it away and you can always start uh, and, and any pages that way. There's no draft that, ever stands. So it's very freeing that you can always change it. Unlike in real life or uh, conversations like this, you flub, you flub. Uh, but in writing, you're always, you can go back and make it be your best uh, self. And so I guess the part that I don't like, and it's not that I don't like it, uh, but that I like less is once it's, once you put it out in the world, I'm kind of ready to move on to the next thing. 
I've enjoyed talking about this book because, well, books are different. Like with an article, you're always on to the next article. With a book, you learn so much from what people take from them and you were alone with them for so long. It is really joyful to uh, be able to talk to people about a book that you're done with. Well, that's terrific. You know, it's obviously you're very passionate. What would you say to an aspiring writer out there who's either just getting started or just can't get the level of success that you've enjoyed? I mean, the industry is just destroyed. Uh, newspapers have been dying for a long time. I was so lucky that I got to work at, at alternative weekly papers, uh, like the Pittsburgh City Paper. And uh, I worked at the Baltimore City Paper. And there you cover everything. You have to, one night, you're, you know, at least I did. One night I was cover, writing a review of a play the next day, covering police or something. And you really get a sense of your city and the world. And, and there are some of those coming back. So the first advice would be like, find somebody someplace like that that will let you experiment with voice if you can and with the different styles to write in uh but it's it's they're they're going away mostly uh very quickly the magazine industry's failing the book industry it, it's hard to think of how young writers especially nonfiction writers are going to be able to learn um I'm, I'm trying to work with a lot of young writers, but the thing is, is it's up to you if you're a young writer to invent the world that you want to write in, because, uh, you know, there are, find the websites and only submit to the places you read. Don't send off something off to somewhere if you're not a reader of it too, because, uh, you know, if you just expect everyone to read you and you don't read anyone else, then, you know, you're, you're not really playing the game either. And you're keeping other people from maybe being noticed in the way they'd like to as well. That's a, that's a really great point. You know, one other quick question is, you know, for people out there just getting into journalism or been in for a little bit, um, what would you consider to be a cover story? How do you know a good cover story? I mean, the internet makes it weird, right? Because like, what's a cover anymore on the internet? And uh, that's, that is how most people read their news. And it, and it is for the reader, a golden age in that regard. I can go this morning and read 10 great stories that, 1990, I never would have been able to find uh, without going to a library. So there is a, a great uh, profusion of writing for the reader, but for the for the writer, you know, or for the editor, a cover story was one that would, at, at City Paper, at least for us, was one that would grab the attention of someone in the box. It's right. got to, you walk by it on the street, what's going to make you reach in that box and grab it? Um, if you're not a person who would ordinarily grab it. Right. There are a couple other things like you, you, it needs to be a longer story, a story that can bear out some weight that feels, and it needs to have good images. I mean, sometimes the better story just was something real square that didn't have a good picture. And so that wouldn't necessarily be the wow. cover story. I love that. And that's a great tip for social media marketers out there as well. People in social media, how do they gain the attention? There's got to be great copy and there's got to be a great photo or a great image or a great video. You can't expect to capture people's attention and you don't have both it sounds like Bernard you have to have yeah, I mean both. what I what I did to break into the city paper ultimately after pitching for a long time and being ignored if you want to be a writer too you just got to get ignored a lot and realize people are just not going to respond to you for maybe a year but then when they do respond you got to be ready and but I started working with a, a photographer that was about at my same level of stuff and we would go out and find stories and he would take the pictures I'd write the story and we'd hand them a whole package and you you realize everyone's overworked so if you can give them something that, especially once it's been tested and they know your work some, say, hey, we have a, here's a, all the photos you need, here's the, the copy you need, and here it is. That if you can save people work, they're gonna wanna work with you more. Yeah, so just a nice turnkey package. That's a phenomenal idea. Um, so to all those writers out there and just in general, either starting out or already been doing it for a while, how do you get your stories published as a writer? Uh, with, Great perseverance and patience. Uh, so you, you, what you need to mainly do is have a good pitch for any story that you wanna do. As contrary as it might seem, most places don't really wanna get a story up front because it might be more work to edit it to what, instead of like, hey, here's the idea I have. And you send out a pretty fleshed out pitch, but shorter than the story. That also explains why you're the person to write the story. Has links, uh, hyperlinks in it to, your previous work so that you can, they can just click on it and see where you've written, uh, you know, very brief bio and at the bottom, you know, my work's also appeared in, I'm the author of 
this, my work's appeared in, so they can click. And still, even with editors that you know and have worked with, 99% of the time you're gonna get ignored and you'll send it to another place and another place and another place. Uh, and a lot of it's luck. If being able to see the right story, if you're in the right moment and something's happening, you may be able to, uh, you know, when I was working at City Paper, we got bought by the daily paper here, The Sun, and so then I pitched a story about that to the New York Times, our art weekly's over, our art weekly's dead. What does it mean for the daily paper that they were starting as an enemy of buys it? And so that was how I was able to first get in the Times was by uh, realizing that the situation I was sitting on top of was a newsworthy situation. Uh, that's uh, interesting. You talk about that being perseverance is like anything. And what do you think, Bernard, now how writers are so needed in so many different aspects than they were, I think, 20 years ago because of the ev evidence of social media, of, of email marketing, of all these different things. Writers that do passionate work like you can find side hustles to really make money while doing what they love. It's really, there's so much opportunity out there for writers that may just don't understand. Yeah, I mean, and there are new, we just got two new nonprofit, uh, one online and one's gonna be print newspapers here in Baltimore, the Baltimore Beat, uh, which is a black owned and uh, black controlled nonprofit or black controlled nonprofit uh, print paper. And then the Baltimore Banner, also a nonprofit. Uh, so there are even some news things coming back. I don't know a lot about, I mean, we are in a, a profusion of text right now. The number of emails that, that everyone gets a day, the number of, and being able to cut through that with uh, really being able to tell a story, I do think has, uh, has merit. And, you know, I, I don't know how to give advice on that though. I've, I've been lucky through, because of my academic stuff, I've been able to teach on the side, some of my wife is an academic that's helped me get benefits. That's the real advice is have a spouse with a job that has benefits if you want to be a writer, because uh, otherwise, I mean, you're just, you're in bad shape. Yeah. But, uh, or, yeah. or have another job and wake up in, at night uh, or in the morning and do it. And I just think have writers have such a talent, just like every creator that's out there, the videographers, the writers, two theories that I mean, I don't, I do some of, and I wish I didn't. And then and listening to people listening to me now and then creating just different things. Writing is such an important part. That's a money-making thing when you're thinking of how much copy, ad copy. So if you're doing something you love, look at freelancing, doing something that is really needed. And writers are as a value to the level when you're talking about learning how to write copy compared to almost a videographer, which is amazing to think about. But yet, if before writers were considered starving artists, that can change. And also, let's talk about painting. And now, paint, now artists that are you know, drawing or anything, because NFTs, now they have an opportunity to make a lot more for what they're worth. So it's just to always explore in this world wide web and world and learn to market yourself. Now talk about you now, your autobiography, Inheritance. Tell us about it. And you know what also I think is exciting for you is maybe this is going to be more writing more books after this, right? You got your opportunity. You got published with this book. And now it's time to take off in maybe a different direction from Inheritance. So tell us about why you decided to put it out there. Yeah, it came out uh, shortly. I started writing it shortly after. I, I wrote a book in 20, that came out in 2020. Uh, co-wrote a book about corrupt cops in Baltimore called the uh, I Got a Monster, The Rise and Fall of America's Most Corrupt Police Squad. And we wrote it in a really true crime, uh, fast paced thriller manner, but it was entirely true. Uh, and the cops were the villains and defense attorneys were uh, were sort of the heroes of it. And, and but I realized it was easy to look at these people and say, oh, these are the ways in which these people are flawed and uh, the system is flawed and racist in all of these ways. But then I had to look at like, well, how has my life been racist? How has whiteness? So the subtitle of the book is an autobiography of whiteness. How has whiteness affected my life? And I grew up in South Carolina uh, in a family that had been slaveholders that, and I ended up uncovering that my great grandfather was involved in a, an assassination of a black county commissioner named Peter Lemon in 1871, um, whose name had been erased from the record. And so part of it was about restoring his name to the record. On the cover of the book, my name is, is slashed through. So it's kind of the opposite of branding. 
um, you know, in all of the ways of thinking back of the um, covers branding. It looks like a great cover, by the way, especially for the. Yeah, I mean, it's an uncom it's very uncomfortable in that context because of the other use of the word uh, branding, you know, of, of branding human beings and animals yeah. and stuff to to denote property, which is what, in fact, that that my ancestors did. Um, but it, it was something that I realized as I was covering all these stories that my name had been a Confederate monument that was memorializing these people who had had uh, really awful belief systems. And so figuring out how to deal with that was part of it. And then it got really close. Like that's just not a systematic thing that goes far back. That's interacting with all the people that I love in my life. And so it's not just stuff we can just throw away. We have to figure out how do we live in this world that we've inherited. That's so true. And Greg, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, that's, that's a heavy subject. And I'm not an expert in that at all. But, you know, I'd love to ask you, Bernard, what's the most important thing you've ever learned you know, given your history and given what you've just shared? Uh, that I'm not the hero of the story, I think. You know, when, when we grow up, we have this, uh, and, and especially as men and especially as, as white men, this idea that we're supposed to be the hero in every situation, that the story revolves around us even when it doesn't. And, uh, you know, the, the more that, that we realize, as, as parents say, the world doesn't revolve around you, uh, the, the more we realize that the, not only the better we'll be towards other people, but the better we'll be to ourselves. And I think that was what Socrates' project was too. That's why he went out and asked the questions, was to see, you know, because in a way the world does revolve around us because we can only see it through our own eyes. But in journalism, you, there's a car crash and you go ask every witness of it. So you can try to get at the real thing of it instead of, well, I saw it from over here and that's the only way it can be seen. And so I think that that's probably, uh, that's probably the most important thing I've learned. All right. So best place people can connect with you and buy your book where they can go. Where's the best place, Bernard? I, I really encourage uh, people to buy it at local bookstores. We got to create the world we want to live in. White Whale is a great one in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, every, every city has some independent bookstore you can order through them. There's also bookshop.org uh, that you can choose a local bookstore that it will give part of the profit of that through. Uh, because, you know, the, the, in any given day, Jeff Bezos will make something like $13 billion. And the bookstore owner whose face you see when you go in is making certainly much less than that. Uh, but you can get it on Amazon and those places. And if you do, I, I would ask that you, uh, you know, if you could review it there, those uh, are supposed to be important to writers in, in ways that are, are not necessarily intelligible to us on the ground, but uh, are supposed to be important. You have some great, you have some great reviews on the book or uh, people that have reviewed it already. So congrats on that. Are you looking to write some more books? Are you going? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I hope that, uh, hope my life, uh, can continue to be, um, I will uh, write, I'm working on some magazine stories now. And so work on that for a while. There's, there's a couple, uh, have a documentary coming out shortly. So there's some other forms of stuff in the, the making as well. Uh, but books are, yeah, books are my, my heart. All right. Well, we appreciate you coming by Bernard. Uh, thanks for coming on and uh, appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. You're listening, <laughs> watching the Neil Haley show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome first my co-host today, Dr. Cheryl White. You're part of the celebrity thing. Again, my celebrity podcast is ranked number 12, according to Feedspot at Celebrity Podcasts in the World. And you're going to co-host with me today, Dr. Cheryl. We've done some co-hosting of all my other genres of shows. And <laughs> we're excited about our guests because a big movie coming out. Can't wait to hear about it specifically and Robert's feedback. So go ahead and give me, let us know who your guest is. Thank you, Neil. Hi, everyone. Uh, it is an honor to be able to interview composer Robert Toteris and uh, excited about uh, your new movie coming out, The Walk. Um, that's just super exciting. We want to hear all about that for sure uh, and about your composing uh, as well. But can you share with us what, what brought you to this specific career path? Oh boy, um, how, long <laughs> how long do we have? Uh, 
Uh, thanks for having me, by the way. Um, boy, um, I, I've been a musician since I was three. I guess I can't, you can't really say, a, you can say a three-year-old's a musician, I guess, if they end yeah. up doing it for a living. <laughs> um, so I, I got launched on the path at three. Uh, I started playing piano, you know, piano lessons, that sort of thing. And then at seven, I discovered the guitar and all bets were off. And uh, I didn't ever want to do, uh, there's never been a point in my life since the age of seven where I wanted to do anything else with my life. Um, which is an odd thing. I have two children and I'm like, why don't you have your career set now? Like, <laughs> but uh, that, it doesn't usually work that way. Um, so uh, I went to a high school performing arts in Philadelphia, went to college for music in New York, uh, flirted, had brief flirtation with record labels in New York as well. That didn't quite work out the way I wanted it to at the time um, in terms of my rock star dreams and so on and so forth. Uh, left the country for a little while just to find myself, as they used to say. I don't know if they still say that. And um, uh, then I um, became a singer-songwriter uh, for a few years. Used to play Borders books. Remember Borders books? Yes. Um, used to play them. Like, I could literally book them from, like, city to city, state to state, and I could play all over the country and, like, drive around and play Borders books. You could make real money at one time doing that. At least it was real money to you know a twenty something, um, and um, and did that for a while, and then met an amazing woman, and was like, I don't want to travel around the country doing this if I'm, you know, it's that thing of like settling down versus, you know, and how am I going to fit my career? And so I decided to be able to make music from home, and so we moved to Los Angeles, and I was like, how about film composing? And I've always been obsessed with television and movies. I think everybody that works in this business at whatever level and whatever job has been obsessed with TV and movies. Yes. And so luckily I was a kid that watched a lot of TV and that actually worked out, turned into something. Um, so uh, that's a great, that's a great answer. And so would you saying TV and movies, I'm going to go with the follow-up. What were yeah. your TV and movie show movies growing oh, up? Let's talk about it, man. I have equal love in my heart for, Francis Ford Coppola or Stephen J. Cannell, the creator of the A-Team, you know, like, oh, I, love I, can, <laughs> I mean, I was really young when the A-Team was on, so it was probably inappropriate for me to be watching it, like, but um, I, I, you know, like, I just, man, I love, I love, I love procedurals, I love, you know, I, I love the, the premium HBO drama, I love, I've always been that kid you know, I'd watch Humphrey Bogart movies with my mom or Sidney Poitier movies, you know, like, so I grew up watching that or Abbott and Costello as well, even though, you know, that's like 40, 50 years before my time. You know, my mom was obsessed with old stuff. So like, and my grandmother, when we watch all that stuff too. And then my grandmother also watched like Murder, She Wrote. So like, I have a love for that stuff too, man. You, you I, the, there's, you can't you can't name something that I don't I can't see an appreciation for on television. And I love television. Oh, no, I agree. I and so and I love movies and Netflix. I stream. I'm I'm always watching Netflix and Amazon, and that's what I spend my time watching these days. And, and it's like always when I have certain projects, I wish I could catch up to them because you're either streaming something or watching another movie. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. There's so much stuff out there and available. All right, uh, Doctor Joe. Next question. Yeah. For you. Yeah. yeah, that's that's amazing. I love that. You're very diversified in your <laughs> in what you watch. So um, congratulations on the walk. I was Thanks. reading very quickly. Um, that, did, did it come out last weekend? Did, did it you it last actually came out last Yes, it did. It could, did come out um, uh, last Friday. So a week ago today. Um, we had the premiere last Thursday. So, you know, sometimes this stuff trips into the, when you're promoting these movies and talking about them. It, usually a lot of people do it ahead of time. I actually find that it's been great to do it while it's out mm -hmm. and talk about it because uh, we had a movie premiere and we had a great response at the premiere and a Q&A that lasted so long that they had to throw us out of the theater. So, <laughs> um, so that, I mean, that was really nice, you know, like eventually they were like, well, this theater has to close. Um, so, um, you know, so, yeah. so far so good. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit more about the project? I'm fascinated with a composer who does the music for a movie that's just so interesting to me and, and what it actually means 
to you to do that kind of work. So, okay, so the walk, just briefly about the story, is the story of the Boston busting crisis that happened in the 70s, um, where they, in an attempt to integrate the schools, they decided to, and this happened all over the country, but Boston was particularly notable because there were riots as a result mm. of it, of some white neighborhoods that didn't want black kids going to school in their neighborhoods. Wasn't everybody, obviously, that's not how racism works, but it was a, it was a loud minority of people. And so, uh, it became national news and it was a really scary thing for the kids who were just trying to live their lives and go to school, whether they were white or black. And they were like, what is going on? Uh, but so the, the, the movie follows two families, one black and one white, uh, a black, uh, child who, with a single dad who has to raise her, who is in her senior year and has mm. to go, uh, all of a sudden has to go to a different school, which for any kid can be traumatic, especially in your senior year gosh and uh a white family with a cop who uh is sort of questioning his own issues with race and his own racism he's a good guy but he's obviously had some issues and so now he's been assigned to protect these black kids who are being bussed into his uh neighborhood meanwhile uh his daughter actually is racist is actively racist and he's trying oh. to sort of change her heart and trying to figure out his own and deal with this and it basically it's a small story it's not a big sweeping piece on the history of society's ills you could do that and it's great we've had great examples of that in in but it, what's great about the walk is that and unique about it is that it's a small provincial story about two families from two different worlds and everything's about to roll and get bigger and collide. And so um, that it's really, really, uh, it's a great, it's a great story. It's a little story that turns into something huge. Right, and so Robert, when you talk about your role as a composer, how does that, what is that role in putting together the film? Explain what a composer does. Right, so, so um, uh, basically uh, the director, um, you know, you, they get, you get a copy of the film, you watch it uh, continually and, in my case, I like to watch the film like five or six times before I even meet the director. Like they send it to you now because of digital. And and uh, so you really know the film. Then the director would come to my studio and talk to me about what he was seeing uh, for the music and his ideas. And I talked to him about my ideas because I've watched the film so much that I'd know sort of what to say and how, what I thought could happen. And it's just a collaborative process. You know, everything in Hollywood so you get so many big names in Hollywood, you know, singular names, but nothing gets made without a bunch of other people. And wow. um, so as the composer, you know, it, the director and I are basically going back and forth, uh, trying to figure out what the language of the score is. So like, what, it, what are we trying to emotionally represent? Mm. And that, um, that can take, sometimes it's obvious and evident. And sometimes in the case of the walk, the walk is so unique because it is small, so you don't want the score to overwhelm it. Uh, you know, it's not it's not an action movie. No one no one's in the kind of danger that we think of in movies. It's a different kind of danger, and it's a different kind of tragic situation. So, you want to you want it to be authentic to what the characters are doing, to what you see on screen, and so a lot of that is a lot of talking about the movie, a lot of trying things and seeing if they work. And you know, sending music cues to the director, like, what do you think of this? And them giving you notes and saying, okay, I like this, maybe change this and that sort of thing. Every project's different. Uh, some of them go faster than others. And the walk was actually pretty fast because we were on a schedule, a tight schedule. And I came in a, a pretty late in the game, but it's uh, it's incredibly collaborative process. You know, like you're, you're, you're building something together even though it's his baby you know, but he's got to relinquish enough control to me to let me find a musical language for the film that works with his vision. But, the, and that sometimes could surprise him and say, oh, I didn't think of that, or, oh, that doesn't work. So, and you have to be open to knowing that you're not going to nail it every time. That music's huge. Think of some of Spike Lee's movies and different things of how basically the music tells the story in so many ways. And I guess every, every story, the Star Wars, all that. We don't think of that role, Robert. We forget yeah. the role for that, right? We think yeah, meanwhile, magic kind of comes up. Yeah. Try to play some of those movies dry without music and see where you get see oh, what you yeah. get. No. And that is I can think of I can think of only two 
really big properties in the last 30 or 40 years that have had no music at all. And that's yeah. The Sopranos and The Wire. And those are the two of the greatest shows in the history of television. Yeah. So aside from them, you need that, you need that emotional momentum that the score provides. Yeah. Well, definitely let's think about Stranger Things. I, I, without music on that, what would do there? Right. You know, you right. know I mean? yeah. so, Especially, I watched the last season. I cannot wait to finally, this thought, the second part comes out July 1st. My wife, yeah, um, my wife is watching the last season right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, I think it's the best season. I'm really, yeah. my, my take that's is just like, it's just the, how the storyline goes. But that's the whole thing. But so the composer, you're in the music end, but do you have any of the relationship towards the story and the, the cut out certain things that might not work with the, the acting as being the- No, I mean, no one's gonna make editing choices based on what I do. Uh, plus the movie, you usually, I mean, it depends on the project, but let's say for the walk, it was a locked picture by the time it got to me. So there wasn't gonna be a thing of where the director discovers, oh, this doesn't work or this, I mean, maybe there was, but that has nothing to do with me. Um, but I think the idea is, Think of an excavation. Think of a uh, a story that's been told centuries ago, right? And you find something in the ground, and then, but it's a mess, and it's not a mess, but it's it's not quite clear what happened here, or it is clear, but like it's not the little parts are missing. And I think what a score does is it's like clearing off all that stuff on the story to bring out and accentuate the emotional impact of those moments. Mm -hmm. I you love that. see the detail in everything. It, it, could the story exist without the music? Of course, like <laughs> I'm not arrogant enough to think that like I'm the most important part here. But I, I think it's like anything, you know, could you tell, could you make a movie without the editing? Sure. Could you, <laughs> could you shoot a movie without a director, like a single singular voice, like directing it where to go? Sure. Could you make a movie without actors? It's been done. I think all those things, but when you're combining things and you ha everybody has their singular job, mm -hmm. without one of those things, it feels incomplete. Yes. And so, so you know, it's the, the director co-wrote it with uh, someone so, and then directed it. So it's his vision mm -hmm. or his writer, his writer George Powell's vision of, of his co-writer George Powell's vision. But to make that vision complete, to really put the, you know, the finer touches on it, emotionally, you do need the score. That's just how it works. I agree. I'm a musician and I can't imagine <laughs> being without the music because it does give right. that emotional strength and it just keeps you engaged as you go on and on. So, yeah. Right. Matter of fact, I, I hope the walk comes out in my local theater. I'm going to stand up and say, hey, guys, wait for the credits. I want to... <laughs> I got to talk to the composer, <laughs> but hey, <laughs> we got. I'm from a small place. <laughs> It'd be exciting. Okay, no, that's I mean, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. it gets a wide, wide enough release that we can get yeah. it everywhere. That would be great. I, that would be awesome because I love the topic. Number one, but um, I just want to know if you have, you know, in all of your experiences, what is the most interesting story that's happened to you since you started composing? Hmm. Wow. Um, Tough question. <laughs> story since, um, you know, um, I don't know if I have one. If I do, I'm never going to remember it. it, it um, because my memory is like, my memory doesn't work when it's being pressured. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, I feel like this whole thing has been an interesting story in that you never forget the first time you hear your music on television or the first time you hear your music in a movie theater. Oh and the movie theater thing is um, unique only in that, that a movie is an event right. you go to and, and it's like you get out, you get dressed, and you get out of the house, and you do things, which to, in today's world is uh, even more uh, compromised. But like, so like, you know, like I got dressed up to go to the premiere and then the music comes up and you're like, and I still get like chills they're like, oh, I wrote that like in my T-shirt, like, you know, like drinking coffee, like in the middle of the night or something. And th there's a thrill there. But I, I never forget the first time I heard my music on television. I was in this tiny, tiny, terrible apartment that my wife and I had. And um, and uh, she was pregnant. 
and I had done this job for someone, but didn't have much, didn't have many prospects at the time, but the job had been done a while ago and I almost forgotten about it. And we, you know, we were struggling, looking for money and trying to figure out what to do. She was teaching and, but you know, we were having a child. And so there was a lot going on. Our world was about to change. And we were just flipping the TV. And like, at first I was like, she was like, actually, she was like, wait, is that, is that the thing? You, and I was like, oh my God, oh my, like, and you just, and it's coming into your yeah. living room and you just feel like, oh, like what I'm doing matters yeah. to someone. Someone actually who I don't know heard this piece of music and- Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.